Hey, what's up, guys? This is Cara D. Welcome to Millennial Love. Hello, welcome back. I don't know what episode number this is. One seventeen. Oh, one seventeen. Yeah, welcome back to episode one seventeen of Millennial Love, where we discuss sex, love, and how we are selfish AF. This is the Cardi. <laughs> the Cardi. Why did I do? Um, this is Cara. <laughs> and this is Justin. And this is Mish. And we're back again. Make sure to follow us on all social media platforms: Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. At Millennial Love, that's L-O-V-3. Um, our podcast name is not Love 3. It's just love. <laughs> Why do we get that all the time? Um, also, if you want to give us just a little bit of your paycheck, because I think everybody got paid on Friday, you can cash app us at Money Symbol Millie Love. That's L-O-V-3. Or you can PayPal us at MillennialLove at gmail.com. For sure. Yeah. I've been given the wrong email address. It is not info at Millennial Love. It is millennialove at gmail.com. Oh, really? Yes. And people have been... Emailing that. Yeah. So we probably have some some, money that's just suspended in the air. So (laughs) if you sent money to info at Millennial Love, please cancel that and resend it if you don't mind. I don't think think it will go through. Millennial Love. Yeah. I don't think PayPal would just... Well, I don't know. Some oh, of them no, things do be child. taking Somebody money. might have set up an info at Millennial Love. Well, we probably need to set it up <laughs> just in case. Just to get <laughs> them coins. Anyway, um, today will be a very serious episode, guys, just as a disclaimer. Um, I will probably pre-record a disclaimer, um, but just it might be triggering and it, it may conjure up some feelings from um, a lot of black women especially. So... We do have another guest on our show. We want to welcome Tanya today. Thank welcome. You. Thank you. Um, I'm going to read her bio very quickly because um, she, I know, has a lot to talk about. So Tanya Stafford is a native of Dallas, Texas, with over 10 years of experience working with women, young girls, and children. Her love for them keeps her focused on their safety. Her degree is in early childhood education, and she is a certified mediator. Okay, girl. I'm a lawyer. Okay. Mm -hmm. A registered uh, level trainer with the Texas Early Childhood Professional Development System. She is a two-term board member for Head Start of Greater Dallas, Texas Head Start Association, and HSGD Policy Council. Tanya has also been trained by Texas Against Sexual Assault. Her passion and focus remains to protect women, young girls, and children. So welcome, Tanya. Thank you so much for taking the time to come to my humble abode and record. (laughs) We are not in a studio, guys, if you didn't know. (laughs) Um, Ever. (laughs) It's a wonderful pad. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I guess, Tanya, we'll just kind of give pass the baton to you for a second if you want to kind of talk about 
what you do in the community and then we'll kind of get into our questions. If okay. That's okay. So again, thank y'all for having me. Thank Absolutely. you for allowing me to share my story yeah. and share me with your listeners. Um, you. My name is Tanya Stafford and I'm a human trafficking survivor. I was sold at the age of 13 by my mom for drugs here in Dallas, Texas, South Dallas, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wasn't supposed to be my life because I wasn't a fatherless child. I was raised by my grandmother here in South Dallas. Um, cook clean. She taught me how to cook clean, comb the girl's hair. <laughs> uh, my mom had always been on drugs. That was something that we were very much aware of um, coming up. So... When she said she got herself together, um, around eight years old, I was about eight years old when she said she got herself together and she wanted her children back. Mm. And my grandmother had no legal right to keep us. Mm. And we had to go with my mom. And in going with her, our life changed drastically. Mm. We were no longer able to see our father Um, She was just like, basically, you're not going to see your father anymore. That is it. You won't see his family. Um, You might not even get to see Big Mama as much. And so we had to adapt to that surrounding. It's her surrounding. Um, She Mm. was clean for a little bit. Um, She was working, um, doing what she needed to do as trying to establish herself as a mother again. Mm -hmm. And ended up um, meeting some guy. He was a truck driver. Um, drove for one of the biggest trucking companies um, in Dallas, Texas, and brought him home and said, this y'all new daddy. Hmm. And y'all new daddy, can't you, you're really not seeing your daddy anymore. And so mm. it's like, okay, we don't want a new daddy. But that yeah. was our mom. So we had yeah. to respect our elders and respect our mother. And not too long after, probably about three or four months after they got married, they did get married. Mm. They did get married. And three, maybe three to four months after that, he immediately began molesting us. So we were immediately molested because he's seen girls. Um, basically, he was a pedophile. Wow. Um, that's oh, wow. just the way to call it is he was a pedophile. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was the oldest. I mean, the two younger ones were, uh, you know, a few years up under me and didn't have any idea that they were being molested and raped either. Um, Because I never thought that this grown man, 30 something years old, was having sex with an eight year old. Oh, my God. Um, So my sister, the baby girl, took the bulk of the, the rapes. Um, Mm. I was sexually assaulted by him on a regular basis and which in turn made me angry because she had relapsed. And so it left us. We stayed right here in Dixon, Dixon Circle. Um, That was our stomping ground. So, you know, it was bad. It was bad back in the 80s. But we knew how to take care of ourselves. It's because our grandmother was like, when one fight, all fight. (laughs) So we were fighters. We were fighters. And so I knew how to take care of everybody. So when she would disappear for three or four months at a time, I knew how to get them up, take them to school, get myself to school. But I was so angry inside. It's because I could not fight her husband because when she disappeared she leave us with him mm. and wow. so we were it was like free range to him it's like hey i can take her in the room rape her and then take her in the room molest her and so that's what we had to deal with on a regular basis so when i would go to school i would fight 
but I fought boys. I, I like to fight boys is because wow. I couldn't fight him. And so I got in trouble all the time, but I was smart. I got A's <laughs> and B's and I was sleep because I never slept at the house mm. is because I had to stay up most of the time just to try to watch them or make sure that they were safe and then get up and go to school. So I would do my work and go to sleep and fight. That's all I did yeah. every day was <laughs> go to school, sleep, do my work, and fight. And in the office all the time, and my principal, he would always fuss at me because he would have to paddle me. Because back then you can paddle. Yeah, in the '80s you can paddle, and so I would take a paddling and keep it moving. It's like, okay, what you gonna do now? Because that's not gonna stop me from fighting. It just wasn't gonna stop me from fighting. <laughs> right. It's because I was so angry inside. And that's one of the things that I teach as well is that some of the girls that act out that you might see acting out, they're not acting out for no reason. They're acting out because they're angry about something. Something is happening to them that makes them frustrated enough to go and act out. Um, and that's what I was doing. But my principal at that time was, you know, when the all the arts were introduced in South Dallas was at Pearl C. Anderson. We had an arts program, dance, mm. um, theater, um, choir. So all of that I was introduced to. Mm. And so he was like, well, you know what I'm going to do for you? I'm putting you in choir because I'm tired of whooping you. Mm. And I was like, that's not going to work. I'm just going to go in there. I'm going to act up in there, too. But then I couldn't act up in there because the choir teacher, she had those drumsticks. And I was like, <laughs> no, she, I didn't like get my hands whooped. Um, and so it kind of gave me a little act right. And then I found my place. Um, I didn't know how to sing. And I can't sing to this day. So I tell people, don't ask me to sing. Um, you know, I, just, I, just like, I just like the structure of it. Yeah. I needed the structure. And so choir taught me a balance. It taught me, you know, all of the the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows and you know go here go there but since she was in theater she introduced theater to us um the plays were introduced to us mm -hmm. and so i found a love for plays and it was like oh i think i'm gonna like this so mm -hmm. she brought alice in wonderland to pearl c anderson mm -hmm. and i was like oh my gosh like i just want to be the queen <laughs> and she's like no you have to try out for that i'm like what do you mean try out for that no you have to learn these lines right. and you have to do it right. and i was like um i don't think i'm gonna be able to do that and she's like you can do anything you put your mind to and at that moment, I realized that I could, and they encouraged me because I was beat down so much. I didn't have low self-esteem. I was just beat down because my mom would always beat me as well and tell me that I was the ugliest child that she had. You know, bitch, I should have cut your fuck fucking throat when you were born. Um, I heard it all. And wow. I took the bulk of that abuse. And so it's like I was beat down. So when she said that I could do this, I was like, oh, I can. And so I learned all the lines and I had to audition. <laughs> and that was scary to me. But it taught me courage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I won that part. Nice. And so as we were doing the productions and mm -hmm. stuff, it was just like amazing to me. Um, nobody came to um, the play. But Mr. Williams was there, Miss Battle was there, 
everybody was there that I trusted. Mm. And so they made me feel more comfortable with coming off the stage and they gave me hugs. Mm -hmm. And so it was just like amazing. So I was the best queen that there was with (laughs) off with your head. So what she taught me in that moment was um, go deep, go Mm. deep, go. And she didn't know what I was going through. She Mm. never knew what I was going through. So I don't know if you said this earlier, but how old were you during this time? I was nine. Nine. I was nine. And so I was, you know, approaching the 10 and 11 and 12. And so it's like, wow. But it stuck with me to go deep. Mm-hmm. Go deep. Mm-hmm. You can do this. You got this. And so when I need you, when when you say off with their heads, I need you to think about something that mm-hmm. off with their head. So I thought about my mama's husband. Mm-hmm. And it was like just off with his head. Like, can somebody chop his head off? Mm-hmm. And that's where I went. And so I was the best off with your head queen that there was. I'm sure. <laughs> and I was, I was so, I was amazing. <laughs> and so that gave me that structure that I needed. Mm-hmm. And it was like, but it prepared me for what was to come. Even though I was still getting abused at home, I I would, choir would take it all away. Yeah. And I was able to also focus on my schoolwork. Mm-hmm. So I was getting A's and B's. And what my sixth grade teacher, she was, um, she introduced me to um, all the sororities. Mm-hmm. So when, um, when they would come to the school and she was a Delta. And so that's how I learned about Deltas. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I learned about the army and I learned mm-hmm. about all of this. So I mm-hmm. had my fantasy of, okay, when I'm going to get out this hell hole, um, my mom's and I'm going to graduate. And if I don't, I'm going to go to college. And if I don't go to college, I'm going to go to the Navy because mm-hmm. I could swim. And so I knew I had to swim in the Navy. And so I was like, I had an advantage over people that were in the projects is I knew how to swim. Right. Yeah. Because black no, people don't know how to swim. Black folks don't know how to swim. Black folks don't know how to swim. Grown men. Yes. I know. And how I learned how to swim was my cousin. Um, we were over in, um, over off of, um, in East, like toward East Dallas by the, um, at the swim from Fraser Courts. We were over by Fraser Courts. We would walk over there to go swimming. <laughs> and so she pushed me in. I figured that. She yeah. pushed that me in. That's a black way to learn. Yes. 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 And, and when I, when I got out from not drowning, I beat her up. <laughs> and so it was like, but from then on, I knew how to swim. Facts. I almost did that to my friend the other day. I almost pushed the girl, get in there. Yeah. But I didn't. It, you know, that's a cruel way to learn, but I it learned is. how to swim. But that, that made me want to be in the Navy. And I was just wanting to get away from the hellhole. Um, so not too long after all of that took place in my life, after going to Sandy Lake, winning the trophy for the mm. best, you know, choir, um, elementary choir, that my principal still actually has all of those trophies and pictures of me wow. um, when I was in the choir and the play. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to kind of like see myself yeah. Yeah. and, you know, how little I was and stuff like that and so I I said that gave me that structure that was you know coming Um, we got kicked out of Dixon we got kicked out of a low-income apartment for non-payment it's because they were smoking up they was crack it was you know crack Mm -hmm. epidemic in the 80s Mm -hmm. and they were smoking up everything so we got kicked out and we went from motel to motel and he would get a motel room next to hours or two or three doors down and take um, take us into those rooms. 
um, to have, you know, do whatever he wanted to do. And so we just we just dealt with it. And then we ended up in the projects. And I'm 12 now. I'm like 12. I'm getting ready to turn 13. I'm getting ready to go into the seventh grade. Um, my birthday is always late. So I'm, I'm a November baby. And I remember going, okay, we're in the projects now, but we'll make it. Uh, we rode the school bus. Um, I was going to Fred Air Florence. And um, the kids were going to H.S. Thompson, and we were in the vicinity. And so I knew how to still take care of them and get them ready. Um, but it was kind of getting a really bad then, too, because mm-hmm. the projects, we was just free to roam around. Mm-hmm. And free course, of, you know, we were just free. Yeah. Um, as long as we were in the house by a certain time. Um, and I did what I needed to do, wash the dishes, clean, do whatever she told me to do. And then I can go outside and play because that's all I wanted to do was just play. And I was a tomboy. So I hung with the boys. I played mm-hmm. baseball. I played soccer, you know, just in the field, <laughs> in the field. We didn't we didn't have that structure. We made up our own stuff. Right. And so I was that person. I played football with the boys. I just, you know, gravitated to the boys and not in a sexual manner, but just just tomboyish Mm -hmm. i just wanted to play i just ran off energy and Mm -hmm. stuff like that and so as i'm approaching my 13th year um i hung out at an older girl's house and her name was tanya as well and spelled the same way Hmm. and we just kind of hit hit it off and even though she was older than we were we still hung out there and then that's when uh, my perpetrator started coming to the projects and I didn't know who he was I just ignored it because we were there we were eating we were having fun and we could go back home we were full Mm -hmm. Um, because sometimes we didn't have anything to eat and what do you mean he just started like was he coming to that specific coming to to Tanya's house Tanya was married Tanya was also married and that was supposed to be her husband's friend and so I didn't know. We we didn't know anything about him. He just appeared. We really didn't care. It's we just yeah. had somewhere to go. Yeah. And you know, she was feeding us and she cooked all the time. She had kids. And so it just was a place to hang out at. Mm-hmm. And he started coming and it wasn't a big deal to, to us. I wasn't thinking about a grown man. So it's like, okay, well, okay, see you later and all of that. But not knowing that he had already asked them, who was I? Who's my mama? Was she on drugs? And so he got the rundown of who we were. So they told him everything. Like, yeah, and they they just, you know, they just project kids. You know, they nobody cares about them. And, you know, it's like, oh, okay. So then the transaction started happening. He had already started giving her money and drugs. Your and mom. I didn't know. Yeah, Your I mom. didn't know. Uh-huh. Um, because I was the one that he picked. I was the one that he said... Um, and he actually stood up in court and said and to the judge that when he seen me at age 13 and he was 26 years old, that he said I was going to be his wife. Mm-hmm. And the judge told him he was sick um, and didn't know any of this. And that's when he approached her and started giving her the money and drugs. Um, and once he raped me, um, after he raped me, I really couldn't say anything because nobody was going to believe me. And that's what we were taught. It's like my mama's husband would always say, nobody going to believe y'all. And, you know, you tell your mama, nobody going to want her. She got five kids. Ain't nobody going to want her. And I'll just tell her, y'all just want to run me away. And so we weren't believed. Even though my sister told her, 
we weren't believed. She she always picked him over us, and it was like nobody's gonna believe us. So when he raped me, I remember that that day is because I was just so terrified of what had just happened, and I knew I was gonna be in trouble. I was like, I'm gonna get in trouble because she's gonna think I'm just out here having sex and really didn't know what sex was. But yeah. just, you know, I'm just being fast, and I hate that word to this day. I hate the word. Fast. <laughs> and I, I tell it. people we don't talk, we don't call you know girls yeah. fast. We just they are acting out. Even if you think they're just you know action acting out sexually, they're just acting out. It's because something happened to them. And so what had happened to me was. After the rape of me, um, he, he was like, you can't go home like that. I need, you need to clean up. And so I did and went back to the house. And maybe like three months later, I was really sick. I was really, really sick, throwing up a lot. Didn't know what my body was going through. And I remember being in the bathroom and just throwing up just all the time and then she came in my mama came in and she said bitch you're pregnant I was like what is pregnant you know I'm like what is pregnant I don't even know what pregnant is mm. well how do you what is pregnant and then I told her like no he this that man you know forced himself on me he you know he did this he did that and she's like bitch you was just being fast you know just you know don't say shit else they took me to a doctor outside of Dallas County um, because teenage pregnancy was rising in the 80s as well. And so I would blend in with going out of Dallas County or even if they kept me in Dallas County, but she knew not to keep me in Dallas counties because they were going to ask questions. Right. And she, and so she didn't yeah. want that to be answered because she was like, you can't tell anybody they're gonna, because they're going to take you. And when you have your baby, they're going to take your baby. And I'm just like, I don't even know, understand. Yeah. I didn't understand. Yeah. And so she took me to Mesquite Community outside of Dallas County um, to a doctor that would deliver in Mesquite Community. Mm. And um, once I delivered, um, going through the pregnancy, she was still receiving money. Um, she told him, you know, we need TVs. So he was buying TVs. He was, you know, I'm just like, where's all this stuff coming from? But they'd go right on back out the back door. It's because they were pawning them to get their next fix. And then they would go get, get our stuff out of the pond. Um, so we didn't have much at all. So anything that came through that door, he was bringing it and then they were yeah, taking it back out. on out the back door um, to get the next fix. And it was like, we'll get it out. You know, y'all can't watch TV this week because we'll get it out the next week uh, when he gets paid or something like that. And so it was just the ongoing cycle of all of that. She beat me when I was pregnant. Um, she always um, would beat me, uh, hit me. Hit me in my stomach. I really didn't think that I was going to last through the pregnancy. And I, I, in a sense, I didn't want to last through the yeah. pregnancy. Mm. It's because I was just thinking, if I don't have the baby, then I'll be a little freer. Um, and as she grew inside of me, I just realized that she didn't, she didn't have a choice. And so after I delivered... Went back home with with uh, with my mom. Then um, he actually came to the hospital. That's the that had been like the third time that I had seen him. But he wasn't in there when I delivered. He came afterwards because that's what they told him is to come afterwards. Mm -hmm. And he did. And he seen um, the baby. And then it was like okay. So I went home not knowing what was discussed. And 
probably maybe she was maybe like six, six, maybe six, seven weeks because I was turning 14. Mm-hmm. I had just turned 14 um, and my birthday was coming again um, that November. So I was getting ready to turn 15. And so it was just, it was a, the cycle of 13, then I turned 14, then that's after that summer, I'm getting ready to turn 15. And so it was around the end of July, 1st of August, around that time, right around the first beginning of August, the second, second week of August, because school was getting ready to start again. And I was really excited about going to the eighth grade. I was so excited about just going to the eighth grade and just having a different life and just everything. And I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I got a baby, but I'm going to make it. Mm -hmm. And I came home and my stuff was packed at the door. All my stuff was packed at the door. I knew it was my stuff, me and my baby stuff. I knew it because it was the baby stuff with it. And so she said, bitch, you got to go. I was like, where am I going? And she's like, with him. I'm like, I don't even know him. Like, we... We don't know him. Right. We don't, I don't know him. I don't want to go with him. And she was like, you don't have a choice. Um, he had paid her her last payment. And so he said that I had to go with him. Um, he wasn't going to continue to give her money, all the above. He wanted, they really wanted the baby. They really didn't want me, but she knew I wasn't going to go without the baby. But then he did want me to have more children. Um, basically, I was his sex slave um, to have children. He had told me I was going to have 10 children. I didn't make it to 10. I made it to three. Um, when he took possession of me, the first thing he did when we got in the car was he slapped me. And he said, if you don't like that, then you do what I tell you to do when I tell you to do and how I tell you to do it. Oh he wasn't going to have a problem with me is because I didn't like being hit because that's what my mama did all the time. Is The first thing she would do was hit me in my face. And I hated to be hit in the face. I hate to be hit anywhere. Um, they would beat us with extension cards. They, whatever they got their hands on, that's what we got beatings with. And so I was like, I don't like it. So you're not going to have a problem with me. And that's what happened. Like we got in the house, the rules were already written down. He had already wrote the rules out for me. When to get up, when to go to sleep, when to have the kids in the bed, when to, when to make the bed, when to watch TV. It was a detailed schedule out for me. Uh, when to be in the bed to have sex, all the above. And I followed the rules. It's so that I wouldn't get beat. And I did that um, for 10 years, um, just basically so that I wouldn't get beat. And I I used to get beat um, when I didn't do something or he felt like my personality was too strong. But I always remember what my grandmother said is they can have your body, but once they get your mind, they have everything. And so my mind was really strong. It was like, if I break, then he would, he would win. And so I never let, he never seen me cry. He never seen me upset or anything like that. It was just basically a smile was on my face all the time. I would cry when he leave. I would sleep when he leave. That's what I would do and keep my life going um, until um, I moved to Pleasant Grove. Um, eight years after the two years he kept me in South Dallas. And I was literally five minutes away from where I was sold. I was five minutes away from where I was sold. And nobody was looking for me. After she sold me, she moved out the projects. Um, She changed her numbers. 
Um, she, I called her one time and I said, can you please let me come back? I mean, like, I'll do whatever it takes. I won't be in the way. My baby won't cry. I'll make sure she won't cry. And she said, bitch, don't call me anymore. And I never heard from her again. And Are so, you still going to school? Um, all the way up until um, my ninth grade year. Um, I was able to go to Fred F. Lawrence for my eighth grade year. Um, because he told me to promise that I wouldn't tell anybody that, that I was there. It's because the, they kept the baby. They kept my baby. And so it was like I didn't say anything. So I would go to school, and I got good grades. I got A's and B's. Mm-hmm. And I would go back. You know, he would pick me up after school. This this older man would pick me up after school. And, and nobody was saying and Nobody said anything. Wow. Um, I remember my eighth grade prom. And I had to beg to go there. And his grandmother um, was the one that told him that he should let me go. Is that because they had the baby. And so they knew I wasn't going to say anything. His whole family knew about this? Everybody knew. And it was basically to protect him. Is protect the predator. No, I I can't say anything. They're going to take your baby. That's all I heard. They're going to take your baby. And my babies were my reasons for surviving. They were my reasons for doing everything mm. that I was doing. And so when I went to my eighth grade prom, his grandmother was the one that bought my dress. And I remember that night because I knew that it was going to be so different for me after after that. I, I already knew. I already knew. I said, this is the last time I'm going to see all of my friends. This is the last time I'm going to probably get to touch them, um, smell them, any and everything. I knew that night, and it was so magical to me. It's because I just got to be a little girl. I just got to be, I just got to be 14, 15. Right. I just got to be that age. And I remember just being in the room and just taking a look around, just taking a look around. And I remember taking the prom pictures, the eighth grade prom pictures that I have to this day. And I was like, gosh, that night was so magical to me. And I said goodbye to everybody. I said goodbye. And uh, when I graduated out the eighth grade, I was going to go to Lincoln. I went to Lincoln probably maybe a semester before I got pregnant with the second child. And that's when he told me I couldn't go to school anymore. It's because it was too dangerous. People were going to start asking questions. And Were so you 16 at the time? I was 15 you ready to turn 16. So was there the rule? Because I know you... I had. You, they sent me to the pregnancy school when they found out I was pregnant. Oh, there's a pregnancy school? There was a pregnancy school. <laughs> yes. Oh. It was for pregnant girls. I didn't make it there. It was just... I didn't even make it there. Hmm. I didn't even make it there. It was... It was so bad. I, I was even surprised that I even made it through any of my pregnancies because I was so sick. Oh, okay. And so I wasn't really even going to school and so he was basically saying that it was too risky. So I never went back to school after my ninth grade um, I thought, semester. Maybe it's a new rule, but I thought you had to be 16 before you could drop out. Mm-mm. Not back, Is that not, not, a, not back in the uh, 80s and early 90s. It must so, be a new rule. No, ma'am. <laughs> that's probably a law, but they mm-hmm. have no... No tracking. Know. They they can't yeah. really track us. Kids and, stop. I mean, there are kids mm-hmm. that stop going to school at 13, 14. Mm-hmm. They tried to put it, the truancy in place and stuff yeah. like that, but 
that didn't really work like that. It was basically, I, I got lost in the system. I pretty much got lost in the system. Nobody was looking for me. Nobody really cared. Um, but I remember Dr. Lewis at Lincoln. Uh, I remember he cared. But I was too afraid to tell him what was going on. Um, but he always would say, Stafford, you're going to make it. I have no doubt that you will make it. Whatever life throws at you, you will make it. And I was just looking at him like, only if you knew. Like, yeah, And I wanted to tell him so bad. And I thought he could help me. But then I was like, I don't think he's going to help me. And then I was scared of being in the system of CPS. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then I had the babies. And if I acted out or if I said anything, I felt like they're going to take, they were going to separate the, uh, my, me from my children. And so it was like, no, just don't say anything. So I delivered my second child at Parkland. Um, and one of the doctors that was taking me back, uh, he had said, what are you doing having all these kids? You know, because he looked at my age and it was like, and I was like, well, I can't tell him what's going on because he had already judged me. You know, he's, he's just like, what are you doing having all these kids? I was like, okay, should just be quiet. And he made all the medical decisions. Like I had all of my children naturally. Um, he told me I couldn't have anything to um for the pain, so I had all them naturally. He made. Are you he made, serious? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, I had nothing. I had my third child was born ten days before my eighteenth birthday, wow. <clears throat> and I had no anesthesia, no epidural, no nothing. Is because he said I couldn't because it might hurt the kids, and so it was like I couldn't couldn't have anything. So did he use any substances? Like was he on drugs? No. No, just mentally crazy. Yeah, yeah. He was mentally crazy. And I realized that as I as I grew, mm -hmm. is that he was like mentally crazy. He he wasn't on drugs or anything. He was and he could have been. I didn't know. I didn't see it. Yeah. Um and I never used, I never took anything. Mm -hmm. Um me not having anything when I had the children, I developed a high tolerance of pain. Mm -hmm. And so um knowing that drugs Ran in our family drug history and drug abuse. Yeah, I was afraid too, mm -hmm. and so I wouldn't take it. anything. So it took a lot for me to even take pain medicine as I got older. Is because I was so afraid of being addicted to something. I've never smoked. I've never drank. Uh, I've never been in a crazy home. None of that. I just chose to cope with just dealing with pain. And a high tolerance of pain. So when we moved to Pleasant Grove, it all changed for us. It's because he moved us in a house that looks just like yours. It looks just like yours and mine's mm -hmm. to this day. And we blended in. So it looked like a regular family. Mm -hmm. Even though I looked young, nobody would say anything. Because you were 18. No, not yet. Not yet. I wasn't 18 yet. And... But I looked mm -hmm. like I belonged. And so nobody asked any questions. Uh, we moved next door to a little white lady. And then, you know, I was trying to you know, get her attention. Like, can you help me over here? Mm -hmm. And she wasn't going to help me. And then she died. Mm -hmm. And I knew she wasn't going to help me then. Um, so not too long after that, this wonderful black woman moved in next door. Um, and I noticed her. 
because I would take out a trash all the time. And I was just looking at her and her family. Like, it's her husband, her family, and she had three kids. And I was like, wow, I wonder what that's like. You know, just it looked normal to me. Mm-hmm. They look normal to me. And she said, I didn't look normal to her. She, the first thing she noticed is that I was young mm-hmm. and that he was older. Mm-hmm. And she would speak to me every day. She would speak to me every day. Every day I took out the trash. I took out the trash ritually every morning at the same time. It's because I had to. Mm-hmm. Is that's what was supposed to happen. And she would speak to me and I wouldn't speak because he told me don't talk to anybody. You don't talk to anybody. There was no phones in the house. There was nothing. You don't, you don't communicate with anybody. And that's what I followed. Um, during that time as well, he took me to church every Wednesday and Sunday. And he I talk- had the audacity to be sitting up in somebody's church house. Yep. And they told me that I should have been glad somebody bought me. Mm-hmm. That's what the church folks said. Oh, yeah, I talk about them church folks. Them church Wait, folks are males. I'm, gonna, I'm, <laughs> I'm writing in a question about the church yeah. folks. The church continue. folks are something else. So there's a difference between the church folks and the God folks. Mm-hmm. The God folks are, like, amazing. But the church folks, they are full of hell. They are something else. <laughs> and so... He took me to that church every Wednesday and Sunday, and they were mean to me. They were, they were just cruel. The things that I heard, the things that I heard from them, um, you were just being promiscuous. You were just being fast. You should have been glad he bought you and not somebody else, because look at where you they are now. They knew that it was a purchase. Yes, he had told them. He confessed. He confessed. And they, br- and they blamed you? They blamed me. I would, I would stay on the altar to pray the demons out of me. I would stay on and the altar. And you didn't do it. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I just... I was just I'm, not, I'm not surprised by that. Yeah. I'm shocked, but not surprised. So I did. I, oh I took it, and I kept moving. But every time I would go back, her wonderful face would, hey, how you doing today? It's like... She's like, why you keep speaking speak. to me? Yes, because you're going to get me beat. And that's all I kept saying was, she's going to get me, she's going to get the hell beat out of me. And, but this one particular beating that he gave me, because our houses were just that close. Um, and I actually did a documentary called Be the One. Um, and they actually showed the, uh, the house that mm-hmm. I, that I was kept in, in that documentary. So the houses, you could hear everything. And so this one particular beating was because I forgot to take out the trash because I was sleeping. I was sleeping. I forgot. And I tried to do it before he got there. And I found myself trying to, you know, get my shoes on, do this, get the trash out there. And he came through the door. And he's like, didn't I tell you? And I was like, yeah, but, you know, I fell asleep. I was really tired. Kids been crying all day. So I was just trying to rest a little bit. And he beat the hell out of me. And so it was so bad that I could barely walk. Oh. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm going to die here. Like, he told me every, every day on a regular basis for 10 years, I could kill you, bury you in the backyard, and get away with it. But he was right. He was actually right because nobody was looking for me. He said, nobody's going to miss you. What well, I, I do have a question. Where was your grandmother doing? She had passed away. Mm-hmm. She had already passed away. Um, now, she passed away right... I had my son 10 days before my 18th birthday. He was three days old when I found out she had passed. 
and I begged to go to that funeral mm-hmm. is because I knew I would never, ever see her body again. Uh, I was allowed to go. I was allowed to go, and I, that's when I seen my siblings for the first time in many years. Mm-hmm. And then um, he picked me up, and I never seen them again. Where we, was your mom there, too? Yeah, she was there, too. So during the time where he... Well, your mother sold you. Your grandmother did not know about it. No, she didn't know. She didn't know. She was wondering where I was. Um, in our CPS reports, and that I, I was able to gain um, access to all of our CPS reports. That was very. They told me that was highly uh, strange and it is unheard of. But I was able to gain access to all of those files. And in those files, in her statement, she's, she says she knew that we were going to be molested and abused. Your, my your, grandmother, after my mom took us. But she couldn't do anything. She couldn't do anything about it. She couldn't do anything. And so she knew that we were going to suffer. And reading that and, you know, her words, um, I held on to them. And she was basically in in those statements was like she loved us so much and she wished that she could have kept us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think she blamed herself. It's yeah. why she declined so fast is because we were her strength. Um, she was a midwife, worked all her life, delivered babies all her life. And so she had a stable, we were in a stable environment, her and her husband, for all of those years and didn't know trauma. We didn't know trauma until we got with my mom. We were just being regular kids. Um, You know, back to my neighbor is that last beating that he gave me, I was able to speak to her then. It's because I was like, Tanya... This is it. It's do or die. You know, when she speaks to you, speak back. And she just said, are you okay? And she was asking, was I okay? Because she heard the beating. The beating. And so I said, no. And she said, I can help you. I'm like, you can't help me. I don't think you can help me, but I need to tell you some things. Mm-hmm. And she was like, no, I can help you. I was like, this lady crazy. I know she crazy because, you know, nobody mm-hmm. do this. Mm-hmm. And what does she want? And then I was worried about her telling him. Yeah. And so it was like, well, I got to trust somebody. Mm. And so she was like, no, no, no. I can help you. I can help you. I was like, okay. So I'm just going to trust her. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to trust her. And so I t- started telling her everything. And I was basically like, if, if I come up missing, I'm in the backyard. Like, look for me in the backyard. And she was like oh looking gosh. at me like... What did you just say? I was like, he, he said that he, he would kill me, bury me in the backyard. He would take the kids. He would tell people I ran off with another man. And she was like, no, baby, it's going to be okay. No, don't worry about that. We got this. I was like, what? she said, do you have an education? I was like, no, he made me stop in ninth grade. She said, where's your mama? My mama once sold me. I don't know. Where's your siblings? I don't know. Because right after the sale of me, everybody split. My brother, he went one way. He was the oldest. Then it's me. And then the rest of them, everybody went separate ways. Like, I didn't know that my sisters were out, you know, in the streets. They were fending for themselves. They were staying from house to house with people. One of my sisters in one of the reports was she slept in 
someone's car for she was 13 when my mom put her out and she slept in someone's car for a year this is in the documents and I didn't know any of this mm-hmm. I thought they were with my mom yeah uh, my brother my brothers went to selling dope um, and I don't condone it or condemn it is because they were doing what they needed to do to survive. Yeah. Um, that's all we knew was to survive. When we didn't have food, they would go out and hustle to make sure that we ate. And so I didn't blame them. She blamed him when my brother, and I actually tell this in my book, but not a lot in my story, but my oldest brother walked in on my mom's husband on top of me, mm. and he beat him up. But guess who went to juvenile? My brother. She called the police on my brother. And he's never been the same since. Mm-hmm. It's wow. because he thought he was being the protector, but our protector was taken away. Mm-hmm. And so we went downhill real fast then, too. Um, so I told my neighbor everything. And I just told her, like, I'm, I'm going to die here. And I don't want to die here. I really wanted to live. I wanted to live for my children. It didn't matter how they got here. I just wanted to live for them. They were a part of me. I loved my children. Um, And that's what kept me going is the love for my children is, okay, I got these three reasons to live. I got these three reasons. So she said, well, I can help you get an education. I'm like, I no, you can't. I don't know how, how am I going to do that? And she's like, do you know how to ride the bus? Do you know how to do this? Because she timed when he would leave and when he would come back. And so she taught me how to ride the bus. And then sometimes she would take me down to the, um, they call it Dallas can now. It was something else back then. And she would take me down there and I took the classes for my GED and I passed all of my tests. And she said, when it comes in the mail, get it. And give it to me. So she taught me how to get all my documents. She was asking, well, do you have anything on the kids? Any identifying information on the kids? And I was like, no. I'm going to take, she took me to get their birth certificates, their socials. And so when it came, because I really couldn't touch the mail. So the mailboxes were on the wall in the little mm-hmm. foyer when you walk up there so the mailman would put it in the box but I couldn't touch the mail but I knew that those documents was coming so I would make sure it didn't look like I touched the mail mm-hmm. so I got my diploma out I got their birth certificates out and I gave them to her so they weren't in the house and so she put them in a Ziploc bag and she kept all the documents so when it was time to leave I had everything Um, But it didn't quite go like that. It's because the day that I was rescued is the day that he almost killed me. It was getting really bad. It was a lot of things that was going on. I was, I think I was getting mentally strong to to leave as well. And he was just going crazy. I mean, just ranting and raving. I was like, it's getting bad in here. But he had already told the church folks, that he was going to kill me and how he was going to kill me. And one of the ladies had courage enough. I would never forget her. And I was reunited with her probably about three years ago. I actually ran into her downtown at Thanksgiving Tower. As I was going up, she was actually coming out. And she said, Tanya. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like you saved my life. Because she was she called my neighbor. Because I gave her the number. I trusted her enough. 
Because I think she was sick of the church too. And right. so she was getting ready to leave. And so I was like, well, you know, if anything happens, call this number. She called my neighbor and she told my neighbor what he had said. And then the church basically was told me when I was in the circle at the altar that if it was meant for me to die by his hands, then that's what, that was God's will. You know what? They I, did. I can't. They did. And okay. so she told my neighbor and my neighbor said it was getting really bad. And so we had to make an exit plan like really fast. But it did. We didn't make it. It's because I think he felt that I was getting ready to do something. Yeah. And he couldn't control it. Yeah. And we we're just trying to figure out a way to do it. And he was just going on and on and on. And so I was like, it's going to get bad. I didn't want to leave the kids. I was like, I can't leave my kids here. And she was like, just leave the kids. So as it's getting bad, I'm in this bathroom. There's a hallway bathroom. There's a small bathroom. And so I'm flushing the toilet and I'm running water and I'm letting up the window. And so, so I can go out the window. But our code was you throw something out and I'll call the police immediately. The police had been to our house too. The police had been there many a times. And they would just make somebody leave. Back then, they wasn't taking domestic violence as serious. And so they would just make somebody leave. And so I would get some sleep. But this particular day, I was, it, it wasn't going to go down like that. So I was like, okay, I got to go. She was like, come out, come out, come out the window, come out the window. I'll call the police. We'll get the kids. And I was like, no, I'm not leaving the kids. And she was like, come out the window. So as I'm going out the window, he heard me going out the window oh, and kicked the door in, snatched me back in and threw me out the door into the hallway. And I hit the wall. And I remember being so, you know, shaken up. And I was like, what just happened? And I'm trying to think of a way to get out. And I can hear my kids. Mommy, mommy, no, please, daddy, no, don't, please. And I was like, well. This is not going too well. And then I said, well, if you can just, I'm bargaining now. I'm bargaining with him saying, can you just let me put the kids up and then I'll come back and let you kill me? Because my neighbor, I told her, um, if anything ever happened to me, I could lock them in that back room. And she knew how to get to my kids. And if she could just raise them for me. And she's like, don't think like that. Don't think like that. It's not going to happen. I was like, you know, I just want to make sure that my kids will be in good hands. Don't ever let my family have my kids because they will really hurt them. Yeah. And so she was like, don't think like that. And so I'm thinking, like, I got to go put them up because I didn't want them to see him kill me. And that was my biggest fear is me dying in front of, mm -hmm. in front of them. And I could hear the fear. I could hear them mommy mommy no please please and then I he started choking me started choking me and I slipped out of consciousness and I could I could still hear them I could still hear them and then I woke up to this sweet voice because she she had this really soft voice very strong voice but soft voice and she was calling my name and she was like Tanya 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 you don't get to die today. And that was the first time I ever seen her cry. And this is when I neighbor. opened this, my neighbor, I opened my eyes. That was the first time I ever seen her cry. And then I looked and she had a gun in her hand. 
And I was like, well, why you didn't shoot him on the way out the door? And she was like, we can't do that because I didn't want your kids to live with seeing me kill their daddy because she was basically like, I was going to aim to kill. And he ran out the door and then the police came, the ambulance came and they were like checking me out. And it was like, next time we come, we come into a crime scene and you have to leave today. And so they allowed me to get as much as I could, um, much as I could grab. And then they took me to Irving um, to a shelter. They, Irving, Dallas took me to Irving and Irving took me to the shelter. It's because it was a safe place for women um, that yeah, had experienced women. Do, domestic, domestic violence. violence. So they didn't address the trafficking part of me. They just addressed the domestic violence. And right then I started receiving counseling. Uh, which I was afraid of, but I tell people now when I went into counseling, that was the best thing that could have ever happened to me and my children. It's because I didn't get a chance to lie because we were taught to lie all of our lives. Like you lie about this, you lie about that. Don't tell this, don't tell yeah. that. And so we were, you know, trained to lie and I didn't get a chance to lie because I was just like, I was so tired I was cried out. I was tired. I just wanted to sleep. And I'll tell y'all whatever y'all need me to tell y'all. Right. If it's going to get y'all out of my face. So was he arrested? And He was arrested for the domestic violence. Okay. And um, so then they issued me protective orders. Um, I remember sitting in the office in the um, judges uh, when Chamber. I went to court. I wrote out everything that happened to me and he kept reading the statement and looking at me and reading the statement and looking at me and it was like, are you serious? And I was like, yeah. And then he was like, he granted the TPO. He, he granted the uh, temporary, temporary protective, protective order. order. Okay. And so I was like, okay. He didn't ask me any questions. He just said granted. And so I got the TPOs. And then it was like, oh, it's going to be a trial. And so they, they assigned me a team of lawyers, Ladies Against Domestic Violence. That's, that was Legal Aid of North Texas. They mm -hmm. had this unit called Ladies Against Domestic Violence. And I remember the team was putting together everything. You know, they're going to put on this case. And they read my story, too. And so it's like, we're going to call everybody in. They... A subpoena my mom she actually showed up she Your showed mother up. showed, she showed up. they found her she showed up the church folks showed up they they came to say how a wonderful parishioner he was he was no, a faithful tither not. he was a great father and i was just a promiscuous whore i was just promiscuous i was i was the whore of the church i was everything but the good lord's child wow. And I was like, okay. But my neighbor was there. She, my baby brother had actually been looking for me for 10 years. He had been looking, for, he had been actively looking for me. I didn't know until he told me after I was rescued. Is that He said, I've been looking for you all this time. I've been looking for you. And I was like, wow, I didn't know this. I thought nobody cared. Um, he's like, no, I've been looking for you. And my other brother had gotten locked up, and I think he received a sentence of 10 years, 10 or 15 years, something like that. And I was like, wow, I didn't know this. And so my baby brother came to court. Um, so I had my neighbor and my baby brother, and all the church folks was there, and everybody was there. 
It was just, it was a circus. I was just like, I felt like I was in the twilight zone for yeah. real. It's because it was so crazy. It's like everybody's talking and just all this chatter going on. But then it was a lot of tears. And I was just like, I want everybody to stop crying. Because I'm cried out. I don't want to cry anymore. I just want to get this over with. I just want to just go on with my life. Yeah. I want them to go to jail. All the above. Right. I just want all this to happen. And so it was November the 27th, 1996. I will never forget because it was my birthday. They took me to court on my birthday, my 24th birthday. And the judge kept going back and forth, back and forth. And then he took this long recess. He cleared the courtroom because the church folks were acting a fool. My neighbor was going back and forth with them. So she, she's got my back. She's out there saying stuff like, hey, the first lady was like, she was just a promiscuous whore. She was doing this. He, she should have been glad he bought her. So she said the same thing that she said to me, but to my neighbor. And so my neighbor was like, so what does that make him? It makes him a pedophile. It makes him a predator. He could have killed her. Like he could have, she just basically, because she worked in the hospital industry, and she was explaining that he could have ruined me for my, li my life. It's, you know, he was a grown man having sex with a, a little girl. Child. And so she was basically like, he could have killed her. He could have ruined her for the rest of her life, where she could never have children again. And that didn't seem to matter to them. So the judge was sick of the, the mess that was going on, so he cleared the courtroom. And he was just like, who do you want to stay in here? And I, so I told him my brother and my neighbor. And so he cleared the courtroom and had him to stay there. And he represented himself. And I was just like, just crazy. He was crazy. And the judge took this long recess. He took this long recess. And then he came back and he was crying. I'm like, man, why the hell he crying? Oh, man. I'm like, he's just, everybody's just quit crying. And so he was just like, I'm so sorry. The system failed you. The schools failed you. The hospitals failed you. Everybody failed you. And I'm so sorry today I have to fail you. I'm like, what are you talking about? They, they going to jail today. I, they going to jail. She said what she did to me. You heard what she said. You heard what he said. You said he was sick. Because he said that he'd seen me and he knew that I was his wife at 13 years old. You told him he was sick. What the heck are you talking about? And he was like, statue of limitation ran out today. Statue of limitation ran out that day. I, I just turned 24, so it was 10 years from the, my 14th birthday. Stop it. And so he said, I can issue these orders and I can put them in place for a while but there's nothing we can do. I was back there trying to consult with other judges about statutory rape, endangerment of a child, you know, everything that you could possibly do. And he said when they looked, the statute of limitation ran out that day. Had they took me to court two days before my birthday or four days before my birthday, then they could have got some time. But since it was on my 24th birthday that day, Everybody walked out of court. They were cheering. They were, they, had, they were cheering in the hallway. And I'm just really confused. I was really confused. 
And they were like, yeah, we won. That's how God do it. And God is so good and faithful. And they, they had their little prayer in the hallway and everything. And I was just standing up there just going, what just happened? And my neighbor, she was crying. And I was like, why are you crying? And she was like, this is just so sad. Like, this is sad. I was like, well, what do we do now? She said, you go on with your life. Going mm. with my life. So when I got, you know, I rode with her. And when I got to the car, I, I got to really, it sunk in what had happened. It just was sinking in. So I was, I, then I got mad. Then I got angry. And I was like, can I drive? And she's like, you don't even know how to drive. Mm, I, I'm going to learn today. I said, can we accidentally run him over? And she was like, no, we can't do that. I was like, can you do it? <laughs> and she was like, no, baby, we can't do that. You got to go on with your life. And I was like, well, how do I do that? Like, I got three kids. I'm 24. I, I just don't know. She was like, Tanya, you're strong enough. You will make it. You will make it. And then... You know, trying to get back into myself and my life. Um, I got hooked up with somebody in the church and ended up pregnant again. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like, oh, my gosh, this is not happening. I was just, it was crazy. Wow. And I was like, my life is over. So I'm going to have a fourth baby. Mm -hmm. And thinking, I don't know what's going on. How How's this going to happen? What's going to happen? And right after that, I, she told me I had to leave. I had to, I had to live, live again. And that's what I started doing was living again. I opened up a daycare, 10 years. Um, I, I ran a daycare so that I can raise my kids. Mm -hmm. I, I was the soccer mom. I was the football mom. I was the basketball track. I did it all. Um, Raising my children and everybody else's children mm -hmm. And then after my last son graduated I decided to start the organization Called It's Going to Be Okay That Rescue, Restore, and Stabilize Women of Trafficking mm -hmm. And that's what I, I said I had to do something um, Found myself in front of the Senate Testifying on House Bill 2290 Making January Human Trafficking Prevention Month wow. And so just to go on with my life, I had to learn to forgive too. I was, that's actually my next question. Mm -hmm. Have you forgiven your mom and the man who trafficked you? And how did you do that? If you have, I did. Um, it was my neighbor again, really? <laughs> my neighbor again. She's We're still sense. friends. I was about to say, y'all better be What's best. We are, she we are best friends. Amazing. Um, she is still a part of my life to this day. We talk often. Um, she's very encouraging. She she praises me for everything that I'm doing now because she told me she didn't save me to sit on it. And so I believe that wholeheartedly it was for somebody else. So, so just reach back and grab somebody. Mm. But we were riding down 20. Um, I was angry. I was still angry and I was in my late 30s. And she said, Tanya, can I, I need to talk to you. And we were riding down 20 and I was just like, I don't want to hear this. I need to run him over. Like, we need to get him. You know, he ruined my life and all the above. I've had a hard life. And she was like, you, you have to forgive. I'm not ready to forgive. You, you can talk that forgiveness with somebody else. Mm -hmm. To talk about that with somebody else. And then she said, no. She said, let me tell you something. Harboring all that unforgiveness is just like drinking poison, hoping the other person die. 
You have to forgive. I didn't hate my mama. I didn't really have any hate toward her. I loved her. I wanted her. I wanted her to love me. I wanted her to, to accept me. And I knew she wasn't ever going to do that after years of therapy. I knew she wasn't ever going to do that. So I never had that animosity toward her. It was all toward him. Cause, mm. And she told me I had to forgive. In order to do what I'm doing now, I had to forgive. So I had to go on. So that moment, I chose to forgive. I just said, okay, I forgive. And forgiveness is an everyday thing. It's a minute by minute, second by second, yeah. hour by hour. Mm-hmm. It's when I get those thoughts. Yeah. Uh, you forgave today, girl. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do that. Mm-hmm. And that's with anybody. Is you have to learn to forgive. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing your story. We're not done. I'm just. I just wanted to, cause that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know how how you how you did it. I don't yeah. know how you. That's just, I mean, the grace of God, the grace of God. Yeah. And I tell people this all the time. You don't have to be a part of any religion, but it's whoever you believe in. And I believe, I do believe in God. I believe in my spiritual gods. I believe in my spiritual ancestors that, that has kept me and to allow me to be here on this earth today to do what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not done yet. I'm not finished yet. So, that's the way I look at it is I'm not done yet. I have a lot of more work to do. My book is going to be published here soon. So much more work to do. So, so many more rescues to be done and made mm-hmm. to save others. And so that's what I focus on. It's not the part of not having a mom. That got to me many, many years. It's, it's, I had a hard time around Mother's Day time. I would just sit and cry. I have to go to therapy. I go to therapy every Thursday. So I'm, I love therapy. Mm-hmm. I've been in therapy for over 20 years. And it's amazing. Like yeah. It is. It is so <laughs> amazing. And that's what I tell people. If, and if I've said anything to trigger anybody about rape, abuse, molestation, they need to seek help. It's because help is out there. In the black community, the first thing they say is, you don't go you don't go tell them white folks your business. Well, let me tell you what I do every Thursday. I go tell that white man my business. <laughs> it's because I can. And because um, he can't tell anybody. And he can't tell anybody. So I'm going to talk about <laughs> any and everybody. And so that's that's what it does for me is it frees me. It frees my spirit to continue to do what I'm doing and to see what I see and understand what I do every day and on a regular basis and to helping them my mental health is so important to me. And I tell people, your mental health, you have to take care of your mental health. Not just your physical health, but your mental health mm-hmm. as well. You better go be seeing somebody. And there's help out there for you. Don't let anybody tell you that you're crazy for going to see somebody. You're crazy for not going to see somebody. And it's okay not to be okay. I I give my girls permission I give everybody permission. It's okay not to be okay. Like if somebody asked me, that's the one thing I had to accept in life was if somebody say, how are you today? I can honestly say I'm not good today. Hmm. I'm not going to lie and say, oh, I'm okay. I'm good. That's a lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to say I'm not good today. Uh, today was not a good day. I feel like this. I feel like that. I'm able to express it without somebody judging me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So it's the healthy boundaries. And with my mom, there was no more healthy boundaries with her because she was still abusive. Is she still alive? Yes, she is. Okay. I haven't seen her probably in about 17. Well, my daughter is 21, maybe 21 years. And do you know your siblings and are they still like... I do know my siblings. I don't know where they are. My oldest brother, now, he reached out to me. So he keeps in contact every now and then. But Your sisters, you don't? No. No, they blame me for not helping them and saving them. Even now? Yeah. Um, And it's understandable. It's it's truly understandable because I was the oldest. Um, I don't say that it is my fault. But I understand where they're coming they're from. from. It's because they they didn't have anybody else to blame. And it's easier to blame me than a, than, than my mom. And so I take that. It's it's okay. Whatever gets them through their life. I mean How are your kids? They are absolutely wonderful. Really? <laughs> they are 28, 27, 28, and 30. And so they are doing really, really good. They graduated all at the top of their classes. My 21-year-old is in college um, on the honor roll (laughs) and getting ready to graduate college. Um, She's a little diva. (laughs) Um, They are really amazing. And I'm a grandmother, so I have four grandchildren. They are just, they are really good productive members of society. Mm-hmm. They really are. Do awesome. they do they have any lingering effects of your trauma? Yes, they do. Okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so they still receive help for their yeah. trauma. They, they're they still in counseling. Yeah. I wholeheartedly believe in counseling yeah. and being able to talk it out. Um, but yes, they, they have, uh, they suffered the effects of my trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about, and the, where's your predator? Uh, he's in Dallas somewhere. So you have, he has not tried to contact you and he's, Mm-mm. Okay. No, I don't. After the kids got grown, I wasn't really thinking about it because right after we walked out of court, he was granted visitation rights. Supervised visit. You are visits. lying. No. What? In, yeah, are you visits. serious? No. How? Supervised visits. Jesus. How? Because he was a parental parent. He was a parent. It didn't matter. How he became the parent. Nope. Yep. So yes. Oh my God. I yes, mean, I as an attorney, I am just appalled. Yep. I mean, I don't do family law, so I don't know all the ins it's, and outs of the standards it as it to relates be. to. Yeah, but some of that stuff. I mean, when the child is a direct like effect of abuse. Yeah. Like that. That may like that just makes no sense. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. He's he's still walking around here, but. I always tell people that I don't really focus on what he is or is not doing. If the kids have a relationship with him to this day, that's none of my business. What he does is none of my business. What people might say or think is none of my business. I've learned to walk in my truth and walk in my purpose and forget the rest. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, if he he does, he's he knows not to come for me now. Um, <laughs> he won't try. He threatened at one point when I first started mm. speaking out through my son. He was tell I'm gonna sue your mama. So <laughs> my son was a little worried. The younger one was a little worried and was like, he said he gonna sue you, and I was like, let him try it. I want him to. Oh, you're winning like, the yes, civil court now. Yeah, I know. And you so, winning the civil court. Oh yeah, maybe we can talk about that after we get off mm-hmm. here. But I was told that you know I have a really really good case with mm-hmm. um, all the evidence that I have. So he. He backed off of that real quick. Right. Until I hadn't heard anything from him. My mom did come out right after my first interview with the news to say how I was lying. I was a runaway. and She had a lot of stuff going on. And I was just basically like, why did y'all let her get on the news? Because she... To me, it was embarrassing because it looked like she was high on that interview. Mm. And oh, so they then interviewed her. They did interview her. Um, once I released all the documents, they released the story. It's because it was it was founded to be true. Mm-hmm. Like, her story is true. And so they were asking her the tough questions. Like, why didn't you report it? Or why didn't you go after her? And then she had nothing else to say. And then she changed her name. I know mm. what name she's up under, but she changed her name after that. Mm. Um, switching gears a little Yay. to people who like me who are kind of oblivious to being able to see the signs mm-hmm. what are some signs and red flags that can protect women now from being trafficked or helping women spot women who are trafficked so the signs are now is when you have a female victim that appears to be abused. I can't say all tattoos, but we teach on the tattoos as well. The s- tattoos are a big red flag, different in certain tattoos. Like what if, specifically? What mm, there's what roses, types? certain roses, or the rose with a person's name off. Off in it, so we see that a lot. Okay, uh, we see the tattoos that are the same brands because they're considered branded. Um, if a, if that female victim doesn't look at you or make eye contact with you, say if you're just walking along the street and you say, "Hi, hey, how you doing?" and she just doesn't look at you or won't make eye contact, or she seems fearful, or if that person walks up to the counter next to you. And he's making all the decisions or he's doing all the talking. That's a red flag. flag. And so how you can protect yourself is basically being educated and aware, aware of your surroundings. Um, Like there was a 22-year-old female that I was talking to on the phone and she was like, "This, I believe this man is following me. And so what I taught her was, what I taught my children was, if you feel like somebody is following you, you make three rights and then a left. It's right, right, right. And if they turn right every time that you turn right, then they're following you. So then the next left that you make, you go straight to the police station. Or you go somewhere where you can run in screaming. Don't give anybody an opportunity to grab you or to get you in a vulnerable situation. Don't drive down anywhere that's dark. We know people have been snatched. Um, the internet is a breeding ground for traffickers. 
especially in younger children and younger adults because they befriend these people on the internet or Instagram. Instagram is one of them. I tell people, turn off their locations. Don't give your location out every time because you never know. People will come after you because they see what they want or they'll befriend you. They're looking at your account to see if you have any trouble. I hate my mama today. Oh, gosh, this life sucks. So they feed off the vulnerabilities of somebody that's going through. So those are signs as well. But to just be aware of your surroundings. And with the female, you just have to just pay attention to her demeanor. You know, she looks a little scrubby. And some of them don't always look a little scrubby. They might have on the stilettos and the dress, nice dress and everything. It's basically getting to talk to somebody. If you go in the bathroom and she's in the bathroom with you, and you, hey, how you doing? She won't look at you or talk to you. Possible sign. And what do you do in that situation as somebody, like let's say I go in the bathroom and I see a woman and I, I suspect that she's being trafficked. or she's Just tell her there's help for her. Like just say there's help for you. This is a number that you can call. And some, some awareness is placed in bathrooms now. Um, to where I've seen, I've seen yeah. yes, and so you could you can actually call, and then we can they can actually text now. We say this, and I say this really loudly: is pimps are really dumb. They're really really dumb. You can text now; they can text for help, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of them don't know that they're not checking the phone like that. Mm-hmm. They're just about making that money. That's it. So what's the number that they can text? They can text. <laughs> no, you're fine. I, it's okay. Um, it's on the brochure. It's okay. Is it on the back? Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll get back to it in a second. Well, whenever we find it. Um, so my last question. Well, did, you have, did anybody else have any other questions about signs? The number is 1-888-373-7888, and that is for the National Human Trafficking Resource Center. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I couldn't It's the hotline. It. I know it's kind of small. We're going to make that bigger. <laughs> I saw the 469 number, and I was like, I don't think that's right. Um, that's the office number. Right. Okay. Um... How likely is it that someone who is being who is currently in a trafficking situation is realistically going to call or text? Like, what are the percentages of women who self-report or who 40, actually... 41 and self-report. 41%. Mm-hmm. And they, it's very likely when they really want out, they'll call, they'll text. Um, I have some that go back and then they'll text me maybe weeks or months later, and say, Miss Tanya, can you come get me? And that's when we know that they're really ready. Mm-hmm. So we can't make them. We can't make them stay or anything like that. We can just offer them what we offer them. But I always tell people, just don't give up on a person that's in those situations, whether it's domestic violence or trafficking. Just don't shut them off because they might go back three, four, five, six times. We say five. 
They five times they'll it's go. It's the back. magic number. Yeah, and you just have to stay stay the course with them. Then they'll come back. And then they know that you really care. I have one that that texts me. She texts me about a week ago. I was sitting at an event and she was texting me. I'm like, "Hey, I'm in this state right now. How'd you get to that state? I already know what she's doing." Mm-hmm. And she was like, "I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm sleepy." But when if I come back to Dallas, where am I going to go? And I text her and said, you have to be willing to follow the rules of the house. Mm-hmm. And these are the rules of the house. Do you think you can follow them? She hasn't texted me back. And that lets me know she's not ready. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that I don't check on her. But she knows that she can text me or call yeah. me. And so you just don't give up on them. So it's very likely that they call and that they will reach out to someone that cares. Mm-hmm. So the situation that you were in, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like he was trying to um, portray that you all were living a normal lifestyle. Yes. Like you were his woman and Mm -hmm. you all had kids together. Y'all lived in a neighborhood that was, you know, nice with other families Mm -hmm. around. Um, Some of the sex workers that are trafficked, they're not living those type of lifestyles. So what things do you see? Like, what are some of the stories? Not in great detail, but like, what are they going through when they're being trafficked? Like, they're sold, or they're captured, kidnapped, and then what happens? So they do, it's normal to them. Mm-hmm. Like, it really is normal. They're kept in a house, or an apartment, or a condo, or high rise. And that's normal to them. They, mm. they feel like that's normal to them. That's their family. That trafficker is their family. That trafficker cares about them. He loves them. I've heard it all. Mm-hmm. So to them, that's normal. And they try to live a normal life like that, too. Is there a lot of drugs? Is there, like, I mean... Not all the time. Mm-hmm. But some of them are on drugs. Some of them are fed drugs to get them to comply or to be comfortable with having sex with maybe 25 to 50 men a day. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I look at the situation like with the two girls that are still with R. Kelly. Um, they were young when he met them mm-hmm. and now they're of age mm-hmm. and they've kind of did these interviews and defended him. Do you see that like that type of behavior where it's like they are mentally like you were kind of explaining someone else isn't ready like they're mentally not ready to admit what is going on yeah we call that the stockholm syndrome Mm -hmm. you know that and how they develop a bond with their perpetrator Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so that's that's not not common that is very common we see that a lot they love him. That's what they say. He mm-hmm. loves me, but he's selling you. That's not love. We tell them that. It doesn't register until they are away from the predator. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of R. Kelly's in our community. There's a mm-hmm. lot of R. Kelly's in our community. R. Kelly hasn't just started. R. Right. Kelly is a lot of him in our communities. He's just in a uh, more... He's a celebrity. A celebrity, so yeah. yes. So mm-hmm. he's more out there, and so it's more uh, worldwide now that who he is, who he really is, and that's a predator. But yes, we do see a lot of girls like that that just 
they are who they are, and mm-hmm. it's like they're gonna protect them. I had one. If she could bail them out tomorrow, she would, mm-hmm. because she loves them. That's what she said. She loves him. Not going to go anywhere. How do you break somebody out of that though? Like, like it. I've been. I mean, I haven't dealt with anybody that was trafficked, but I have dealt with somebody who has been in a domestic abuse situation and it's a similar kind of mindset where it's like they love me they go back Mm -hmm. how do you break that like how do you get somebody out of that mindset one day at a time it's Uh, it's not easy it's at all um you have to work on them you really have to work on them you have to continue to tell them it's not right what they were going through um don't text them don't call them all the above, change your number. If we can get them to change their number or just don't go on any social medias and not have a number, then we have one. Okay. But if we can't, because they can change their number, I had one that changed her number and he had the number of the day that she changed it. Mm. And so it wasn't working. It's, just like it's not working. That's how they are. They believe in their mind that that person loves them and it's not going to abuse them or it's not abusing them. And so it's just one day at a time. You just don't give up on them because that talking can help. So I have a question. Do you see a lot of cases where like the system will like just throw the case away because of whatever, for whatever reason? Like it's not, it's not many facts. It's like her word against his. Do you see that a lot, or do you feel like the system is doing right by these women who who are victims? Some of them do right by the women that are victims, but it's a lot of women that are victims that don't testify or are not willing to testify. Mm. Uh, I see a lot where the the black girls or the brown girls are not treated the same as the um the mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. race uh, mm-hmm. as far as uh, convictions and mm-hmm. stuff like that because mm-hmm. because of who they are mm-hmm. um so there's a great disparity there mm-hmm. but the system has come a long way uh, yeah mm-hmm. i actually um today i was in a hospital um and ran into a doctor Long story short, the patient had an interesting story, to say the least. And the doctor made a comment like, oh, well, so she's a a stripper and she does hair. And I thought it was very insensitive for him to say, you know, something about her doing hair. Because the girl was saying that, you know, she wanted to go to school Mm -hmm. to do hair. Um, I mentioned that to say that you said something about your doctor mm-hmm. and what your doctor said to you when you were delivering your second child. How often when you're educating and going into the community and talking to other people, do you run into people that say ignorant things like that or are very insensitive to what these young girls and women are going through? All the time. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important to educate them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's why I talk to them. Don't say that. Don't even insinuate that because that could be the making of a breaking point to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it it can make them say, "Well, nobody really cares, so I'm just gonna stay out here stripping and 
possibly one day do hair mm-hmm. or do this or do that. So that's the making or breaking point. And that's what we try to teach in awareness and education is what not to say. Don't say that. And, and it is, it's a lot of doctors that are insensitive. There's a lot of nurses that are insensitive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about, I, I know that as you, you kind of mentioned how you were young and you were, the church people were saying that you were, you know, a slut and all of these things and basically sexualizing a child. Mm-hmm. Are there any programs that you know about or are facilitating in schools that like help kids understand how to cope with being over sexualized and also learning how to like tell people and like trusting people to to tell people when they're having issues or somebody is abusing them? Like I, I didn't experience that as a kid, but I, I don't know if that's something that's that's in schools now. It is in schools. We teach them a good touch, a bad touch. So that is being done now. Uh, I do go to schools. I go to elementary, middle, and high school and colleges to teach about everything that I'm talking about today, about sex trafficking, about the good touch, the bad touch, What's you don't let anybody touch your body parts, and actually teaching children the correct names for their body parts. Yes, yeah, um, pocketbook ain't it? That ain't yeah, it because we're we we do not <laughs> we need not to give them their you know as we're grown we can give the little pet names, but our in training potty training my grandson, and that's three years old. <laughs> Ryan was um, walking around and he was he was like, "What's this?" And so I said, that's your penis. And then I told him, I said, and girls have a vagina. And he was like, oh, okay. So he walked around for the whole day saying, this is my penis. This is my penis. <laughs> and not it, his pee-pee. Or yeah, his no. Right. And so it, it was, you know, then my son was like, did you hear him? And I was like, yeah. So I told him what it, you know, that was his penis. And he was like, oh, okay. He said, because I was going, I had, it had to be mama because you don't, you teach them what their body parts really are. Mm-hmm. These are your breasts. These, this is your butt. This is, you know, not your ass, but your butt. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody touches your B-U-T-T. And so that's what I was teaching Ryan. I was like, yes, that's your penis. Because he would open up his underwear and was like, this is my penis. This is my penis. And I was like, and my daughter was like, mama, he's just so happy to, you know. And and I said, because he needs to know. Yeah, we teach eyes, ears. And so why not teach them about their self and don't over-sexualize them? Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of over-sexualization that goes on, especially with girls of color. Black. Freak. Well, yeah. I can just say I'm a black girl. Yeah, I was me a black too. Girl, and it yeah. was terrible. Yeah, just oversexualizing them. Absolutely terrible. And so I teach. They need to just be kids. And I think it stems from slavery to where you know the girls, the black women on the slave, um, those um, what do you call them? The plantations they had the big butts they had the breasts they had the lips and so they were over sexualized and i think that's what happens now so when i see a child that might have on some uh shorts they might be shorts short shorts to you but that child isn't thinking like that Mm. it's us that thinks like that Mm. so i don't allow anybody to over sexualize the kids that's in 
in my circle. It's like there's nothing wrong with what she has on. She's why are you worried about it? She's not worried about. She's just putting on her shorts. She's just she's comfortable in her skin, and that's what I teach my grandchildren. Is they have to be comfortable in their skin, and so you're not gonna do that in front of me. That they're just their ages. Why are we worried about it's us? It's not them. It's us, Mm -hmm. and that's what society does to black children. Mm I have a question that's completely left field, so sorry in advance. It's okay. What is your dating life like now? <laughs> I was trying to, I was wanting to get back. Into, I mean, I and 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 how did it, how did it evolve, and has it? Yes, evolved? I am actually going to be getting married. You oh, better go ahead. Congratulations! Congratulations! Yes. We have been dating for years. I took my time. Uh, I took the advice of counselors when I first started out. Is I was told by one of my counselors I couldn't date for five years. Mm. And I took it because I didn't know any better. And that was to not fall into the same cycle. Oh, absolutely. And so a lot of people were like, you actually did that? And I was like, yeah, I didn't even know any better. But I just was like, yeah, I did that. And so what it taught me was boundaries. Yeah. Um, I... I had a relationship where I went to marital counseling. That was the first time I had ever been to marital counseling. But that taught me boundaries, and it taught me a lot of things about myself. And so I applied it to the next relationship. I met my fiancé at a dance class. Mm -hmm. I like to swing out. I I like to um, line dance. (laughs) I I love all of that. And so I met him at swing out class. It was actually a blind date, but he didn't know it was a blind date. So (laughs) his friend and was like, I got somebody for you. And I was like, now if he walked through her and he ugly now, right. you know, I want him to at least have a little look. Let him be cute. And yeah, a little cute. You deserve and, trust. Yes, you and I was like, when he walked in, I was like, okay, he'll do. He he okay. But he's he works for the government. Um, so he's amazing. Um mm. he is absolutely amazing. John is amazing. He supports me, he comes to the events, he he does anything that will help support me and elevate me to the next level. And That's he knows awesome. my story. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, when I first told him my story, it was like, it was like you got to be kidding. So I think maybe a couple of days later, he called me back. He's like, can I ask you this? That's can I ask you that? And so I was like, yeah, sure. Because he knew one part of my story. There's another part of my story. But that's in the book. Y'all have to get the book when okay. it comes out. Okay. Um, because it's it's so many parts to me. Yeah. Uh, but he ex- he he accepted me for who I was. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. ups and the downs, the highs and the lows. And I'm very, uh, very strong, mm-hmm. <laughs> strong-willed and um, very boisterous. And just, I would, you know, talk trash and all the above. <laughs> so... He accepted me for who I was, mm-hmm. and that right there was like it was. He was a keeper, um, and I didn't go after him because we dated for maybe three months, and then I broke up with him. <laughs> and then it was like, no, he because he said he wasn't ready to get married, and I was ready he to was get like, married. I'm ready. Yeah, and it was like, no, you gotta go. And so we were apart for like two years, and after I broke up with the bum. Um, <laughs> and I was like, because I knew my boundaries. And so I was like, no, that's not for me. And I was engaged. And I was just like, no, I'm not doing this because that's not for me. Mm-hmm. And then um, he called me like two weeks after that breakup. He just texted me out the blue. 
And I was like, he was like, well, how you doing? And this and that. And I was like, oh, I'm fine. And, you know, just he was having this texting conversation with himself. And then he said, would you go to dinner with me? And I was like, yeah. And he, was, he called me. He was like, are you serious? Mm-hmm. Like, because you done stood me up many a time. <laughs> and so as he was sitting in the restaurant waiting for me, he said, I was really saying to myself, if you didn't show up this time, I was done with you. Oh, wow. And so I was and like, I no, I was coming. <laughs> I was coming. But I missed him. I am. Because it was the way he treated me. Even we were we dated that little short time. Um, I just missed the way he treated me. The way that we were together. Uh, we're very communicative. That's one thing I I love is communication. Huge. And so he was like, he was like, no, this is what I want. He came back correct. So he's like, this is what I want, and this what we this this what we doing. When's the wedding? Uh, so we were trying to settle on August the twenty seventh of this year, but I don't know if that's going to happen because I'm trying to do the book, mm-hmm. and so we will be settling on a date for next year. That's a Wednesday, isn't it? Well, his birthday. It's on his birthday too, so he won't forget the. Uh, okay, <laughs> girl, okay. make it easy. <laughs> yeah, so he won't make forget the anniversary. <laughs> so he, he and he remembers dates better than I do. He takes pictures. I mean, you have a really good memory. I mean, just here, I'm pretty sure you tell your story all the time, uh, yeah. but I'm like... He has a really good memory because he was like, so where did I first take you on a date? And then I was saying this this place and he's like, no. And I was like, so he details a lot of things in, in our life and he takes plenty of pictures. Um, I mean, pictures galore. And so it's like, I had to get kind of used to that, even though I have a lot of pictures of me and my kids and stuff like that. But it was somebody else that was in my life that was doing that part. And it was like, oh, okay. (laughs) So he loves to take pictures. He loves to... He he went and got a photograph. He took a photograph of me, but he went and printed it out into a like a portrait size oh, nice. and hung it on the wall. And I was like, "So you really like that picture that bad?" He was, yeah, like, yeah. He was like, "Yeah, it's a good picture." And so I'm gonna get this one for our house and do this and do that. And I'm like, "Okay, John." So he's that person. Yeah. He's the quiet part of me. Yeah. He's really the quiet part of me. So it wasn't that hard um, because I didn't think that every man was bad Mm -hmm. and so that's what led me to do what the counselor told me and so I didn't make everybody suffer for what that man did because you took that time Mm -hmm. do you think too this is a very personal question too and I'm sorry and it's okay having sex with somebody again not your fiance in particular but just in general like do you feel like if you wouldn't have taken that five years, that would have also been difficult? And how did you handle that emotionally? Too? I think it would have been if I didn't take that time. It's because I was scared of sex. Yeah. I was um, scared that it would hurt or I wouldn't enjoy it. Um, that time, they, they taught me what it was supposed to feel like. Like, it wasn't supposed to hurt. It wasn't supposed to feel uncomfortable or anything like that. So in counseling, it, they taught Yeah, this. they taught me that in counseling. You know, just this is, you know, the way you have an orgasm. This is this, this is that. So I learned oh, wow. about yeah. me and my body. And so that taught me a lot about me yeah. and what I liked, what I don't like. Don't do this. Don't do that. Right. If you like that, then I'm not the person for you. So the healthy boundaries. So I set up those healthy boundaries to where I wasn't ashamed of saying what would please me and what wouldn't please me. And like 
no, I'm not doing that. If, yeah. If that's what you like and that's what you into, then I'm not the girl for right. you. And I can walk away. Right. You can right. walk away too and yeah. and screw you. <laughs> and so yeah. that's that's the way yeah. it was. Yeah. And so no, I wasn't afraid of that after afterwards and just getting to know me and my body. Mm. Mm-hmm. So now you have your organization, it's gonna be okay. And um you go out in community, you speak, mm-hmm. and um, you all are doing great things for Yay. these girls yes. that are being trafficked. What do you have coming up next? We have a 5K walk that's coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it's going to be at the Bachman Lake here in Dallas, Texas, for your listeners all over. If you can't make it, we also receive donations. Mm-hmm. So um, we will, you can sponsor somebody or you can create a team and just have people to um, put it on your Facebook page that might be here in the Dallas area that might want to join your team. It's How two, many people you got to have to have a team? Two or more. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. And so it's just like amazing. We have amazing people to come out and uh, we usually yield over 200. So it's growing. It, mm-hmm. it, grow, it grew from the first year. It was 160 something. And then the next year it was over 200. And the next year it just, it just keeps growing. Awesome. And so we're just really excited about that. So the 5K um, all the uh, funding goes right back into the organization um, to support our girls that we currently take care of now. And those girls do have children. Um, so we take care of them and their children. And you so have the a home? Oh, I'm sorry. Is June 22nd. Yes, June the 22nd. Registration and its on site registration begins at 7. And the, the walk itself begins at 8. And you can stick around for food, um, fun, bounce houses, face painting. Um, everything we have wow. it all out there. Ninety-seven nine will be there. Nice. Um, the wings will be there. Dallas mm-hmm. Wings um, mascot. So we just partnered with them. Um, so we have an event coming up with them on August the first. And also we have some tickets to give away. Um, for um, uh, Saturday we have well, how many we have. 50 tickets. Um, mm-hmm. We've already given away some of them, but um, there's a game, and we'll be at that event on Saturday uh, Saturday evening. So we have the Dallas Wing August the 1st, and we're blacking out human trafficking on August the 1st. I will be speaking from the floor mm-hmm. um, at the Wings game on August the 1st, and oh. just talking about trafficking and organization. So we get that time, and then we get uh, funds go back into the organization, and that's that's on our Facebook page, too, is the um, and it's on my Instagram, um, where which is Tanya underscore Survivor dot activist. Nice. <laughs> so I am. You can follow. You can see me. I'm in the the really pretty red dress. I'm smiling. So, <laughs> so you that's my profile picture. But it's Tanya underscore Survivor dot activist. I got it right this time. <laughs> uh, so and you can follow us on uh, Facebook, uh, which is it's going to be okay, and that is O N K, not O K A Y, but O N K. Um, click like, follow us. We give plenty of updates about trafficking stories that that are put out by national news, um, and then our local, um, what's going on in our local community about trafficking. 
um, events that are going to be happening. We have a um, gala that happens every January to commemorate January Human Trafficking Prevention Month. The bill that I got passed, House Bill 2290. Nice, mm-hmm. nice. Yes. So <laughs> the gala, anybody, everybody comes. So it's an amazing event. Event. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cater to survivors. Mm-hmm. Um, they are sponsored. Uh, we have do- dresses that are donated. Wow. Um, Whatchamacallit, Terry Costa, yes, the big <laughs> stores wow. donate beautiful dresses. Wow. Um, can regular ne- people donate? Yes, they can. I have a ton of, like, I literally have like six formal gowns. Yes, in my regular right people now. can donate. We put them right on the rack and they get to choose. Um, okay. The makeup artists come in, Nima Marcus. Uh, everybody I don't, wow. If I'm missing anybody Please forgive me But mm-hmm. I don't have a list In front of me But um, Penny Rose Donated all the shoes All sizes Amazing wow. I mean just And they were pa- they, They're pampered For that night um, And so I cater to them um, this survivor take care of those survivors. Yes. And I want it to be the best experience that they've ever had. Yeah. I had one survivor. That she had been on the streets for over 20 years. And that was the first time that she had ever been to a formal event. Wow. And so she told me, she said it was the best night of her life. Wow. Like she got awesome. to dress up. So that's what I get out of it. Yeah. I get I get that. It's like to see them, to see their experiences um, them just being happy um, And so you can find a lot of the information On our website um, IGTBOK.org um, www.IGTBOK.org mm-hmm. um, North Texas Giving Day We do have um, It's always in September It's the third Thursday What? It's the third Thursday of uh, September. September And so it's, uh, it's going to be okay it does have a, a slot in there For North Texas Giving Day um, Where that one day You can donate all day long So pass the word um, You can yeah. donate through the North Texas, Texas Giving Day site um, On site And we get, we get all those funds and that goes right back into the organization. Can awesome. y'all email that uh, email that to us? That way, whenever it gets closer, mm-hmm. we can probably mention it on the show. Yeah. So we have a lot of good stuff coming up. Um, so partnering with the Dallas Wings, and it's going to be even bigger next year. I bet. Absolutely. I can only yes, imagine. we. Uh, yes, we are really looking forward to that one. It's because it'll be a really official theme night uh, come next year. Mm-hmm. So w- we have a hundred and. 50 seats right now wow. um, that we can fill. That's awesome. Um, go on the website. It'll be on the website, uh, on Instagram, and links are mm-hmm. uh, on our Instagram pages. And the tickets are low as $11. Mm-hmm. But we want to black out that section. Right. Yeah. Come on out. I mean, we we need to support each other. Yeah, sure. but, uh, yes. Be down for the cause. Yeah. That's what I ask you. If you're not down for anything else, be down for the cause. Right. Because once you get involved, I guarantee you, you want to stay. Yeah. It's an amazing organization. I, and I'm not just saying that because it's mine. Right. <laughs> but it's an amazing organization. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Well, I just personally want to thank you for just, you know, being very brave um, and Mm -hmm. relentless and like all that great stuff and Mm -hmm. just bringing awareness to this, you know, to our community. I mean, like like we had a conversation earlier, we didn't really know much about it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's really good in so many ways that you have taken on this role. 
Thank to you. educate people like ourselves yes. and to also help people that are currently in it. Yes. So all hats off to you. Thank seriously. you. It's my truly my purpose. <laughs> That's the name of my book, Purpose in My Pain. Mm. Listen, I can't wait to read it. Yeah, it's, it's a good book. It's that. a good book. It's <laughs> yeah. a really good book. Not just because I wrote it, but it's <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's my life. Everything right. you do is just <laughs> like, That's amazing. It, it's a it's really a good book. I'm really pleased with the the way that it's turning out and. Um, can't wait to read the final product at yeah. the end. Uh, we do recordings every week. Um, and so I have a wonderful editor. Mm-hmm. Uh, just amazing is wow. the people that have been in uh, coming to my life um, that has gotten behind the cause. Um, I got to meet Michelle Obama last Did year. Did you? What? Yeah. Yes, I had. Did you meet her when she came here? No, I didn't. I was in Denver. I I got to meet her in Denver at a private event. (laughs) So that was the highlight of my 2018. Is she as like electric as? Yes, I will share the picture with y'all. Our picture. Um, It was amazing. She is. She's a hugger. Uh, we cut up. We cut up a lot. We <laughs> talked. It was just like talking to to y'all. It's just wow. like talking to the girlfriends, wow. and it was like amazing. I just, I think I cried afterwards. I think I'm sure. it was about a hundred, maybe a hundred and fifty of us that was um, that got to be a part of that. Mm. And it was just like amazing. Yeah. It was such an amazing experience. I, when I walked in, I just really told everybody. I was like, "Excuse me, everybody, but I am going to have my moment here. I am going to be so selfish. <laughs> so move out the way. I am going to. I'm hogging First Lady Michelle. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just gonna enjoy this this yeah. moment. And she was, she was just like, "You are just so amazing." <laughs> wow. And she told me to just keep telling my story and becoming. And just keep being who I am. And um, everybody that was in the room was like, you were amazing. And Secret Service, she was like, are you over to mess with Secret Service? I was. <laughs> I was like, they need love too, First Lady. Right. And, so, and so she was like, you tell them a camera person what to do. You tell. It was just so fun. She wow. was just like amazing. Wow. And so just the hug. I mean, she's like, give me another hug. Just give me another hug. <laughs> and so we just hugged and hugged and hugged. She's a true hugger. Um, and wow. I just I just soaked it all up. And I think when I was getting ready to walk out the room is when it all just soaked in. It's like, everybody doesn't get this opportunity. Correct. And I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I got this opportunity. And we took professional pictures because they took all of our phones. And everything. Of course. So we, we couldn't have any phones um, mm-hmm. within there. So all professional pictures was taken. And when they released the professional pictures, it was truly amazing. I just could not wait to share it. I was just like, I'm going to be so extra. Like, I was so extra. Everywhere I went, I was just like, so let me tell you who I right. met. Right. I'm just like, let me tell you who, and just showing the picture. I was right. like, let me show you the picture. Like, you know, so it was just my moment to be like really yeah. extra and you know, I remember telling Raph about it, and I was I was really nervous about going. And she's like, uh, "Why are we even thinking twice about yes, this? This is, this is Michelle Obama. Right. Like, are you serious?" And I was like, "I know, but..." And she's like, "What?" And then I I got the epiphany. Mm-hmm. 
Waking up at two o'clock in the morning, and then it was Oprah that was uh, that was on. I think Ralph has shared something on Instagram, and it's like you only gonna get one opportunity, huh. mm. and you make that one opportunity count because you might not ever get that opportunity again. Mm-hmm. And everything was set in in motion. It was like, okay, yes, I'm going. Do whatever. You, you do do right whatever now. you need to do. However, you need to do it. And it was all, and I was like, I cannot believe, but I couldn't tell anybody. I could not tell anybody that I was, she knew, and it was only one other person knew, and that was because she worked for American Airlines, Mm -hmm. and she was going, she was accompanying me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can't tell nobody nothing. (laughs) Well, girl, because because you went, now you can tell everybody. Yeah, I can tell everybody. (laughs) The details that they sent out in email, like instructions, um, they were asking us to be quiet about it mm-hmm. because of security details. And I was just like, mm. <laughs> I had to hold it. And then when I got back and, and then the, I met some amazing people from Germany, from all over the country yeah. um, in that, in our little intimate um, mm. event. And yeah. I was just like amazed at them, the way they <laughs> talked. And so it's just like amazing. And so as we were walking out, people were like, so did y'all got to meet Michelle? And I was like, girl, wait till the pictures come out. <laughs> and so just flipping through the pictures and then everybody started texting each other and it's like, the pictures are out, the yeah, pictures are out. Yeah. And so we went to go download our pictures and I shared it that day. I was you like, had to. I was like, baby, let me just brag. And so then it just started, everybody was just like 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 this is this and I was like y'all would never understand that moment to me just getting to touch her talk to her just to be in the room with her and to see how she interacted with everybody else that was so surreal to me and I just felt like I was in a dream I was like (laughs) I got to touch her I just got to Kiss her, hug her, and it was like, oh my gosh! And she was like, we are, co- we were coordinating. She said, who called you and told you I was wearing floral? And I was like, girl, she was like, we got that ESP done. And I said, oh, you know, she said, you know, I'm gonna be in Dallas. I said, it wasn't meant for me to see you in Dallas. She said, see there, that's why I like you, girl. So I was so excited just being on that level of yeah. I mean, just communicating. Yes, and sure. and they were like, yeah, you are just really awesome. And you know, the uh, her uh, secret service like you. Were amazing, and I was like, "This is who I am," and I cried like a baby. I bet, I bet you did. After it was night. over, I wasn't crying when I first met her. It was when it was all over. Yeah. I was like, I was standing there in that moment, going, "Oh my gosh!" Like I dreamt of this moment. Yeah. Well, I can say that with all the work that you're doing, there's mm-hmm. gonna be someone to say the same thing about you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the the feelings that you got being around Michelle Obama, the work that you're doing, I know that there are women thanking you all the time for what you're doing. Um, so I'm glad that you're Thank still you. here in the Dallas community. Me I work too. with children, so yeah. I'm very passionate about making sure that they have people that are advocating for them. Yes. So I'm glad you're still here in yes. South Dallas. <laughs> yes, girl. <laughs> uh, making hood. sure right. that these I women and children... <laughs> Are getting you want to say that? It yeah. wasn't, it just wasn't, it was never the time, right. but, but she said, but it, so. since you said it, yeah. it's fine. Okay, um, we couldn't say it. Um, so we really thank you for coming on the show thank and sharing you. your story thank with you us. So much. Um, with our listeners, we're gonna make sure that we get the information for the walk, okay, on the thank web, you. uh, the 
description for the episode mm-hmm. and then we put it on Instagram so that people can sign up, register, yes. and give if they would like to. Yes. Nice. We would so love to see here. everybody. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. It's Thank gonna you be so amazing. Much. And I'm gonna be there so you get to get hugged. <laughs> right. I'm a hugger. Right. She so. that's true. She did <laughs> hug me and when she walked in. A real yes. strong hug. Yes. Love to hug. hug. Love, love. A mama hug. Yeah. All right. Well, um, Thank you so much, Tanya. We really sincerely appreciate you. Thank you guys for listening. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, anything, you know you can tweet us, hashtag ML3, and you can also email us, info at Millennial Love. One more time, can you give your social media? Tanya underscore survivor dot activist. All right, y'all go follow her. And I am on uh, Facebook. I'm under my uh, name, Tanya Stafford. Stafford. I don't accept all friend requests, but I will vet them. Just follow her on Instagram, (laughs) y'all. Don't don't do it on Facebook. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening, and good night. Good night. Bye.